listening to Cherokee Hills Baptist Church. If you'd like more information about CHBC or ways to get involved, visit chbcok.info. You know, typically we don't use a chair and a table and all of that. And, and, and I want you to know it's not for decoration or for a vibe. It's uh, what I found in years and years of ministry is that there are times when uh, the best line of communication is to be able to stand in boldness and proclaim a powerful truth. And sometimes it needs to be more personal. Sometimes you need to sit down like you're just having a talk with somebody that you love and care about. And that's kind of the tone that I wanted us to have this morning is, man, I just want to share my heart with you and share it from the perspective of where I believe the heart and the origin of Christmas is in our scriptures and uh, why that means so much for me, but why it means so much for us. Listen to this. In John chapter one, starting in verse one, it says this. It says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made and without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. The, sh- the light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood. And there came a man who was sent from God. His name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all men might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. And the true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his known did not receive him. Yet to all who received him, to all those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. And the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Now I want you to zone in and I want you to think through. And as the music begins to fade out and fade away, I want you to zone in on where you stand today with the Lord. I want you to think about your relationship with Christ. And the reality is either know him or you don't know him. And if you don't know him, the answer is Jesus. What I love about this text and the reason why I center it at the heart of Christmas, and this is my personal opinion is that when you look at all the other Gospels, and they're all beautiful and wonderful pictures and portraits of Christmas, you look at Matthew and you get the genealogy that connects David and Abraham to Jesus. You get in Mark the the preaching of John the Baptist. You get all these powerful things in Luke, Theophilus, and Luke's dealings in in his heart and his life on to the, the coming of John the Baptist. You get here in John, though, what I believe is a Gospel preamble. It's the setting. It's that 
All of the gospel coming centered from the very beginning, God's redemptive plan from early on. One of the great privileges that I have as a pastor is to be able to get to hear the behind the scenes stories of the things that you get to see in the baptistry. And getting to know kind of what's going on in their lives, what was going on before and what was going on as they were sharing their testimony, what led to that powerful moment. And folks, I got to tell you, it's amazing to me how God works. Think that. Let that sit in for a second. It's amazing to me how God works, how he is in every intricate detail and how his intervention is powerful. When I was a kid... I love Christmas. And, and as I was, well, when I was a little, well, okay, I was never a little kid, but when I was a child, um, at first it was the anticipation of gifts. I think that's pretty normal. I think that's something that, that all kids walk through. And then it got to be the fact that I began to notice, I was old enough to notice that there was peace around that time in my family. If you've been around me long enough, if you've been around here long enough, you've heard me share my story about my family and it's battle with alcohol and drug addiction and all the drama that comes around with that. But when I was younger, my great-grandpa, Horace Taylor Noyabad. Isn't that a great name? Horace Taylor, and the best part of it, Noyabad. Do you know how many times I wish my last name was Noyabad, right? I mean, that sounded a whole lot better coming out of football stadium speakers than Keybone did. Noyabad. But that was his name, and he was sort of the moral compass of our family when I was much younger. And around the holidays, it just seemed like out of respect or out of love for him, the whole family seemed to kind of settle down. And he was sort of in charge, and I remember the peace that it gave us. One particular Christmas, now, young people, I'm going to introduce a couple of terms to you that you may not be familiar with, and you may not even be able to find them on Google, but stay with me. Okay, now you other folks, the more chronologically superior, will understand these and may have to explain. So my great-grandpa, during Christmas time, would take us to a place called Otasco. <laughs> now, in case you're wondering what an Otasco is, an Otasco is, is sort of if you were to take a hardware store, Walmart and Target and the mall and cram it into one place you would get an Otasco. It was kind of a catch-all. If you're way chronically, chronologically superior, a general store, okay? And so we're, we're in this place, and, and he would allow us to go pick several things that we wanted for Christmas. Now, it didn't mean we were going to get them. It just meant these are things that you wanted, and he would do something. This is that other term. He would put it on layaway, Okay? Now, some of you guys don't know about layaway. So layaway didn't guarantee that you would get it. But what you could do when you were on layaways, you had these items set aside and you would pay just a little bit every month until it was paid for. When you paid for it all, you got what was on layaway. I still have clothes on layaway today <laughs> at a Kmart somewhere in Lawton, Oklahoma. Okay. Every now and then you get excited to go visit your stuff at layaway. You know, I'm going to get that one of these days, right? And so I remember going into Otasco this particular day, and it was my dream gift. It was a bicycle, and it wasn't just an ordinary bicycle. This bicycle, the frame of the bicycle, was this creamy, bright white. 
The tires were red with, with white rims. And then it was one of those really fancy racing bicycles that had the double gooseneck on it. How many of you know about a double gooseneck on your bicycle? I had that on, and it had these really cool red pads that went on the handlebar and the double goose, had hand brakes on it, had little pegs so that you give people a ride on the back of your, and it was the best bicycle I thought on the planet. And that's exactly what I pointed to. I didn't point to anything else. That is all I wanted. And I'll never forget on Christmas Day, I get up with eager anticipation, believing with all my heart that I'm going to get that bicycle. We opened up our little gifts. We didn't have a lot. We opened up the gifts that we had. And I remember trying to keep it together, trying to be nice, trying to be appreciative, trying to be grateful, but really sad that the bike didn't show up. And my great-grandpa, Horace Taylor, know you bad. He said, he said, grandson, he said, here, why don't you take this dollar and I want you to go to the, the little convenience store. It's about half a block away. He goes, why don't you go to the convenience store? We need a loaf of bread. And I was like, okay, grandpa. So I took his dollar and I was kind of pouting. I stepped outside and on the porch was that brand new bicycle. <laughs> oh, man. I couldn't believe it. I was so excited. I jumped on that bicycle and I pedaled as hard and as fast as I could, which by the way was impressive. <laughs> and I hustled all the way to that grocery store. I took the long route, you know what I mean? I mean, I just, I was just enjoying it. I remember laying my bicycle down so carefully and I went inside to get that loaf of bread and this man walks in while I'm getting ready to pay for that loaf of bread. And he says, does somebody in here own a red and white bicycle? And I was like, that's my bicycle. And he says, well, I just ran over it. <laughs> and he was really mean and scared me. So I didn't know what to do. I just went outside and looked at my, motor, or my bicycle. And I remember tears rolling down my face as it was mangled. There's no way it was going to be rideable again. And so I carried, in fact, I forgot the loaf of bread now that you mention it, but <laughs> I carried my bicycle all the way home and that little lesson right there, that little moment in my life throughout the years has taught me some very precious truths. One thing that it taught me was that the gift of Christmas is not in the gifts that we give. It's not. What I began to think about later on was the sacrifice that my great-grandpa made to make sure that I had something that I wanted for Christmas. It was that spirit of giving. It was that spirit of generosity when really he didn't have that to give, but he did it for me somehow, some way. And I also learned this, and this is going to surprise a lot of us here today. Christmas is not about us. It's not about us. As I began to grow older and I began to have my own family and have my own kids and start to celebrate some Christmases, I began to realize the hustle and bustle of the day and the time. In fact, some of us today can hardly sit still because of the parties and because of the things that are going on today, this evening. And, and here's what I would ask you to do today. Push pause. Push pause. I told you that my great-grandpa, as we would have these Christmas holidays, there was just a sense of peace that he would bring. And it was like everything sort of paused for a minute and we were a family. I cherish those moments because we didn't have very many of those. What we read today, and I'm going to read it one more time, and I want you to listen to this. Based on what you've seen, based on what you've heard, based on what you've experienced today, and based on the moment that we need to push pause and just pay attention, listen to the power in this scripture. In the beginning 
was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and He was with God in the very beginning. From the very beginning of time as we know it, God has always been there. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Everything that we'd read about Jesus and all the Gospels and all the things that He did, all the way up to the great sacrifice that He would make, everything from the beginning in God's hand and God's plan. And knowing every single one of our hearts, knowing every single one of our lives, knowing every single, single possibility of who we are, where we would come from, that redemptive work working in every single place. What a powerful and awesome and wonderful God that we have, that in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All of that centered, that beginning there. And through Him, all things were made. And without Him, nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life. And that life was the light of men. Can you push pause for a second and celebrate that powerful truth? That in Jesus, in Jesus is life. It's real life. This weekend, my daughter Hannah celebrated her 13th birthday. And one of our traditions is that for years we've been going to breakfast together and then we have a little talk. And I can remember when our talks were really kid-like and really fun. And we were talking about dolls and cartoons and all kinds of things like that. Well, 13 is different. That's a different talk. And in those talks that we got to have yesterday, it was really awesome and wonderful to see the redemptive work that God has done in my daughter. Not just in saving her soul, but with the history that we come from. Knowing that I come from a home ravaged by all the junk and the addiction. Knowing that the world gave me no chance and the enemy had a plan to defeat my life, my family, everything in it, my future. But then to see that in him, in Jesus, there was life. What reminded me of all of this was I've shared my testimony with you a lot of times. And I always tell you about two people that were significant in the gospel for me. Mark and Beverly Mattingly. And it just so happened that yesterday as Hannah and I were shopping for a ring to, to notify a special moment in her life, um, I'm walking through the mall, and as I'm walking by one of these great big pillars, this man jumps out and scares me. And I almost knocked him out. Uh, you know, it was Penn Square Mall, so you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> and, uh, and so after I recognized who it was, it was Mark Mattingly. And, uh, and Beverly came up pretty soon. And these are like my spiritual parents. And so to be able to sit and celebrate with them and see how God worked in their life so that God would use them to work in my life and that God would work in my life so that I could sit down with my daughter at 13 years and show her the redemptive work of God in our family and her and what that's going to mean for her life moving forward. Do you see how great of a God we have? In Him is life. Think about where you come from. Think about the miraculous things that you've done. Think about how when God entered the picture from the very beginning, it had an effect on you and an effect on me. Because listen, here's the reality. Here's what I began to be blessed with as I got ready for this weekend. I began to be blessed by the fact that God has intervened in powerful ways. I know. Think about this. How many of you today, I don't want you to raise your hand or answer me, but how many of you today know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior? That's a powerful, most evident and obvious redemptive work. But then how many of us today sit here and our marriages have been healed because of Jesus? Because of his redemptive work. 
How many of us have been rescued from alcohol or drug addiction or all the other kinds of generational things that can overcome us because of the redemptive work of Jesus? How many of us are here today, some of us physically healed when we were told it was impossible because of the redemptive work of Jesus? How many of us, our lives were heading in a direction on a collision course with hell or destruction or both? And then the redemptive work of Christ came. He's life. He gives us life. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life and that life was the light of men. And I love this so much. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. There came a man who was sent from God. His name was John. And he came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all men might believe. And he himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light, but the true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. And he was in the world. He lived and breathed just like we did, going through all the things of this world, but never tainted by it. He was in the world. And though the world that he made did not recognize him and didn't know him, he came to that which was his own, but his own did not even receive him. And all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or husband's will, but born of God. And the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We've seen his glory, the glory of the one and only, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Now church, this morning... I want you to think about the testimonies that you've seen today. I'll never forget when we started our fan club ministry. If you're not familiar with that, just a ministry that we have with our local football team. And God's just doing a really crazy thing, an awesome thing through that. One of the families that stepped up was Angela Scruggs and her family. And really stepped out and began to lead that ministry. And I did, like I told you up from the baptistry, I saw... Angela worked so hard and worked so fervently, but I sometimes wondered, where, where was the joy? Where was the joy in it? And she would get caught up and overwhelmed. And then as God began to work on her life, that moment, I remember that Sunday vividly, and getting to see her come and surrender and give her life to Jesus, that was the missing piece. Are you with me, church? That was the missing piece. You can't work hard enough to make God happy. You can't work hard enough and serve enough to change your eternal destination. There's only one way that your eternal destination is changed, and that's through the redemptive work of Jesus. The belief that he lived, that he died, that he rose again. Believing that, trusting that, giving your whole life to that promise. And I got to watch her do that, and she's not been the same since. And I've seen her work in that ministry since, and I see the joy that comes out of it. She's not trying to earn anything. She's just being obedient to the one who called her. And then getting to see... Her example and what God's done in her life boil over into what was happening in her daughter's life. And to see her daughter come to that same place and give her heart and life to Jesus. To see somebody like Misty Fullerton, who by that testimony, sitting where you're sitting, hears, okay, there's an issue, there's a problem. The Holy Spirit begins to work on that, begins to bring clarity to that issue and that problem, and nails down her salvation and gets to celebrate baptism with her church family. And in those discussions with her husband, he realized, I've never taken that step of obedience. Do you see all the things that God can do? And I wonder, and this is what I've always thought, 
From the moment I found out all these baptisms were happening, I began to put names and stories together. I began to realize, okay, maybe it's not the, maybe it's not the preacher's day today, but maybe the people that are being baptized, maybe they get to be the preachers today. And maybe they're speaking to somebody today. Maybe there's somebody here that is listening and watching and, and feeling, taking all this stuff in. You realize, you know what? I mean, I've been working my guts out for God, but I've never given my heart and life to him. And listen, like she already talked about in her testimony, doesn't matter how old you are, doesn't matter what you're doing, my goodness, if you don't know Jesus, get saved today. Let him save your soul today. Man, it might be that you've never taken that step of baptism. Man, you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You've walked and you're in the Word, you're doing all the things. But you're like, holy cow, I've never taken that step. Today, today, you can say, you know what? Let's get that on the books. Let's make that happen. I need to follow in baptism. As you listen to all these stories, the Holy Spirit can work in lots of different ways. And maybe he speaks to you today about it's time to stop what you're doing and get back into fellowship with him. Man, as a pastor, when I see God work like this, one of the first things that I do is begin to evaluate what God's doing in my own heart and my own life. And I need to stop and think, okay, am I walking with God or am I walking away? In fact, in my quiet time yesterday, it was in 2 Corinthians where he was talking about how Eve was easily deceived and taken away from her pure and righteous devotion to Christ. I was like, man, God, are there places in my life where I'm being deceived and tricked into walking away from a pure and right relationship with God? And maybe seeing what you've seen today, maybe that's you. Maybe that's where you're at, that God would remind you, hey, listen, this is where I want you to be. This is where you're heading, and we need to get this right today. Come on, church, you're with me, say I am. Maybe the Lord would speak to your heart today and all that you've seen and all that you've heard. And maybe God, you've been, maybe you've been wrestling with God about a call to ministry. God, you know that God has a special hand on your life, but you've not just committed that to him. And to say, God, wherever you want me to go, whatever you want me to do, I'll surrender to it. And these are just basic, simple, easy things that God can do. The hard part is will we be obedient to whatever he says? For more information about Cherokee Hills Baptist Church, visit us online at chbcok.com.